Abolition. Abolition. Black people are under attack in America. But we are not victims and we are not powerless. Our fundamental rights are under assault and our very history is being denied. But we will not stand by quietly as it happens. The goal is to condition this generation to white supremacy because they see this generation is pushing against this far right wing fascist ideology. We want our freedoms. We want our people to be safe. And so seeing that as an existential threat to the Republican Party, they aim to change the way a generation thinks by changing what we teach them. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus did not hold back at a press conference on the state of race in America earlier this week on Capitol Hill. The group highlighted a slew of right-wing attacks on blackness and civil rights, like the ideologically driven Supreme Court ruling that put an end to affirmative action. The challenges to voting rights and equitable redistricting seen recently in states such as Alabama and Louisiana. The onslaught of book bans and revisionist curriculum standards for teaching black history. And the lack of action to address the black maternal mortality crisis in a post-Roe v. Wade landscape. In the words of Congresswoman Terry Sewell of Alabama, old battles old have indeed battle. become new again.
Chairman, Representative Stephen Horsford of Nevada, and that was followed by Saul Williams' list of demands. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major streaming platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and we're broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. I'm joined by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. Guess who's not at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center right now? I am sitting about two feet away from you. That's right. <laughs> Here at the uh, Washington, D.C. in our B&B, which is also a museum of right. art, and it's covered everywhere with Haitian art. It's uh, beautiful. And we also have Curtis Davis on the line with us, co-director of state operations of the Abolished Slavery National Network and the executive director of the Carcerate Louisiana. He's no longer in D.C. with us, but he is on the line. Curtis, welcome back, brother. Family, what's going on? We we turned DC into the Abaluminati. <laughs> Curtis, we're having some problem hearing you, man. Can you in a way you can get a little louder? Can you hear me now? Um I just uh, made it back to Louisiana. We're um going to Houston tomorrow and with we're continuing to work at abolition. So um if you can't hear me, let me know, Max. And I'll uh, pull over. I'm sorry, I'm in the car. We can hear you. Uh, it's just a little low, uh, but we can, we can hear you. So you know, just uh, uh, project if you don't mind. <laughs> That's right. So last week we did a review of the recent U.S. Supreme Court rulings on extreme sentences for juveniles, the death penalty, life without the possibility of parole. You and Curtis. And other Eighth Amendment violations. That's yeah. right. And sentencing juveniles. This week, as you've already heard, myself, Max, Curtis, Tribal, Jamelia Land, the ASN Abaluminati, are <laughs> live on location from D.C. after the 52nd Annual Congressional Black Caucus Convention. Max, you uh, created the term Abaluminati. You want to give us some uh, background <laughs> on that? Well, uh, you know, I'm always coming up with stuff like that, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was two things behind that. Uh, we were having some meetings with the uh, Abolish Slavery National Network administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just a realization that uh, we really were making some very powerful moves in this country, like long-lasting moves that will, be, will affect generations to come. Uh, we've abolished slavery in seven states. we got 16 states lined up for 24 and 25. We've already got at least one that's going directly to the ballot in 24 in Nevada, so that's that's very powerful, you know what I mean? Behind the scenes, nobody knows about us, and this is right. what we're doing, you know what I mean? Nobody's ever done anything like this before. And the other thing is, 
a secret society, the Illuminati, right? It's a right. secret society. We're a secret society, not because we want to be secret, because people act like they don't know. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? You see people like uh, Van Jones, who was mm-hmm. in the 13th, who has amnesia about the 13th Amendment whenever right. the lights are shining. Uh, same thing for Ava DuVernay. Uh, uh, also, Michelle Alexander. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on and on. All these people who we know, no. Out uh, Sharpton, for right. instance, right? But mm-hmm. they never have anything to say about this. And it's weird because, like, can you name another organization that has done anything even close to what we've accomplished in just five short years? No. no. So you ignoring us on purpose, making us a secret society. <laughs> <laughs> the Abiluminati. So I was sitting there with him. I said, you know, we've become the Abiluminati. <laughs> Down only the way a wordsmith could do it. So tonight we're going to talk about an experience experiences with legislators and our efforts to amplify the slavery abolition movement. And as you heard about just Matt saying 16 states with 16 slavery abolition bills to change 16 constitutions, all while support grows for the abolition amendment, which is a federal joint resolution to repeal and replace the 13th amendment with the uh, 28th amendment that abolishes slavery and involuntary servitude without exception as punishment for a crime or any other reason. They love to say the like yes. and other and all of these things. And, of course, we'll tie it all together with music, spoken word, and the teachings of the slavery abolitionist ancestors brought to life for a new generation. So, Yeah, it, like Saul Williams. We can't yeah, get, I, I got a list of demands sitting on the palm of my hand. Man, I know you want to break that down. Break it down. Oh, no, he down well enough. Y'all felt it. That was the uh, legendary uh, Saul Williams, uh, legendary spoken word artist, Mm -hmm. and uh, I thought it was perfectly fitting. The intro that you heard from the president of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, right, he made it sound like this is a state of emergency. Mm -hmm. Black people are under attack. Isn't that what he said? He showed talking about how we're supposed to, they're trying to get us to follow these white supremacy ideologies, and they're attacking our children, and all of these different things. But, you know, I didn't see much of that type of, uh, how do I say it? Sense of urgency. Sense of urgency mm-hmm. at the Congressional Black Caucus itself. I, right. I didn't feel that sense of urgency. So, you know, what happened? Right. <laughs> Curtis, did you feel a sense of urgency? No, man. Um, and can you hear me? Clearly? Yes. Yes. Okay. What I felt on Congressional Black Caucus, was a lot of Negroes on the plantation putting on masters um, extra clothes to have that shindig. You remember the shindig where you get yes. the chicken and the watermelon and everybody having fun and whatever, whatever. But this was not about the work of revolution. It was not about the work of a progress for marginalized people. This was really a big-ass social gathering. I kind of got so that feeling. That's where you know? I'm at with it. Yep, I kind of got that feeling. There, there was no sense of urgency. Um, it was, you know, they have this ideology that this is what I felt that there's this ideology that if we just create more black millionaires, everything will be okay. And uh, that just doesn't seem to be the answer that we're looking for, you know? Like, even the cost of admission at this place was crazy like $250 to get in. Uh, on a general admission per person, 
Um, and then also the people who were sponsoring the event made it very questionable in my eyes. You know, like Meta sponsored it, Amazon mm-hmm. sponsored it, millions of dollars they're feeding into this, uh, and other um, international corporations like that. So, um, you know, it just it just felt a little iffy. When I came in here, I was like, you know, I understand I'm going to be going, dealing with some bougie-ass people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I wasn't disappointed. That's exactly what we saw. Uh, when we went to, you know, I don't want to talk too much crap about some of my friends. You know what I mean? Like, we, <laughs> we had some friends down there. It wasn't all bad uh, like that. But there's some people who were very serious, but not enough. So we went down to the Baton Rouge delegation from Baton Rouge to D.C. And right. they had uh, like at least three panels of legislators, council people, educators who came in to basically you know, talk about the issues of Baton Rouge. Um, and it, the line was like around the corner. People was dressed up like they was going to yeah, a nightclub. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, <I'm> like what? <laughs> Only thing we're missing were the Bentleys and, you know, the all of those type of vehicles. Yeah. But they definitely were dressed to the nines as the saying goes. Right, right. And then lying around the corner, I'm like, are y'all really coming to hear these panels uh, of people? Or, uh, what is up with that? Uh, Curtis Curtis at one point told me, he's like, man, I'm so embarrassed with my people. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis, talk about it. And every time um, we talk about these type of issues, we, we tend to ostracize um, certain segments of the nonprofit industrial complex, right? So that's a word that I've been trying to coin, even though I didn't trademark it. But we have a, a situation in, in, in our struggles where people are just trying to get jobs, benefits, and um, it's in, it's not in their best interest to solve the problem because if you solve the problem, the grant goes away. So I need to let everybody understand that we're not in here for money. We're trying to change um, our condition for our people. And anybody that doesn't like that, then, I mean, hey, get on the other side of this with the Ku Klux Klan because we're going to do the work of abolition no matter what, whether we have to put on uh, $500 tuxedos or Come in with T-shirts like we did, Mac. We were like Rats Putin. You know what I mean? We were like yep. um, the. We were different than everybody else. So DC understood that abolition was um, the order of the day, but at the same time, I'm just so ashamed that we have to act like this because we're not free. Just because you got a hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year job to pretend that you're trying to save our people doesn't mean that you're free. So we're going to start calling people out on our website. We're going to actually start engaging more in our social media because the regular people need to understand what our leaders are doing in Washington, D.C. Yeah, um, but it's not all the leaders. Like, you know, um, one of the champions that we worked with for a couple of years now in Louisiana was there, which is Edmund Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he... He, was, he, he greeted us very warmly. Oh, and he had his tennis shoes on with his suit, though. Remember? He did. So, What'd you say? I mean, Edmund Jordan had tennis shoes on while yep. he was sitting there, and um, he's letting them know that I'm I'm on the turf 
I'm working, and I appreciate that from him. So um, signs and symbols are for conscious people. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. Um, but, you know, we made an impact there. As you said, you know, we strolled in in our abolition, uh, Ab- Abiluminati or uh, Abolish Slavery National Network T-shirts uh, and sneakers and stuff. And we were greeted warmly by the leadership from Baton Rouge because we worked with them now for a few years. They know our sincerity and, you know, how, how much we put into this and how serious it is uh, that we try to do. De- trying to solve this problem of involuntary servitude in the state of Louisiana. Um, you know, the first year there was a problem uh, with the language on the ballot, uh, not the literal language in the bill, but the ballot language. So people were very confused about that. Um, and we had to step away uh, second year round. We were defeated in the Senate once again, where they were trying to nail us down to this idea that we do not – we don't have any intentions of suing uh, for the crimes that have been committed uh, of forced labor because the state of Louisiana and Arkansas are the only two states in the country that sentence people to forced labor. Uh, and they're afraid that, you know, those things will be challenged. Even uh, Representative Seaball, remember, he said this is the most dangerous bill they've seen to come through there. Right. And he's not willing to open up this can of worms where every felony case might be challenged. Uh, which is mind-blowing. You were telling us that your convenience is more important than the freedom and justice of the people that you have been throwing into these cages. Correct, Curtis? Yes, sir. Um, and uh, Alex Seaball is running for Senate right now. So um, we need to really, really have a sit-down because this is a bipartisan issue, Max. We can't isolate the Democrats or the Republicans because everybody knows that slavery is wrong. Um, if we don't know that by now, then we haven't been doing the job that we need to do. But I am convinced that even the Alan Seaballs and the KKK or the Aryan Brotherhood, everybody knows that slavery is bad. Right now, um, 80% of the people that are incarcerated in Angola are actually African-Americans. But there are a lot of white guys that are in the prison. The Vietnamese are starting to come to the prison. The, um, the whole Asian community, the Hispanic community. So they're all slaves now, and everybody has an interest in stopping their people uh, from becoming um, what we call property of the state. So I'm going to let you go from there. Yes, um, there's some anniversary. I think Yusuf wants to get into, but before that, I just want to make a, a note of a recent article coming out of ABC News about Louisiana. Uh, men that are incarcerated at the Louisiana State Penitentiary filed a class action lawsuit last Saturday contending that they have been forced to work in the prison's fields for little or no pay. Even when temperatures soared past 100 degrees, they described the conditions as cruel, degrading, and often dangerous. The men, most of whom are black, work on the farm of the 18,000-acre maximum security prison known as Angola, the site of a former slave plantation, hoeing, weeding, and picking crops, including cotton, by hand 
often surrounded by armed guards, the suit said. So this is one of the effects of what we're doing here is these challenges to the badges and incidents of slavery, starting with this class action lawsuit. And Curtis, you know all about this because you spent 26 years in that uh, facility picking cotton and kale. And even at one point, uh, you uh, hurt your foot and they put you in solitary confinement or or did they... What, did they put you in solitary confinement and say that you yes, had destroyed uh, public I mean, property? I to stop working. I, 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 I dropped a 25-pound uh, dumbbell on my foot and was charged um, and put in solitary confinement for destruction of state property. So the Promise of Justice, Justice Initiative filed a lawsuit last week, and we, this is one-of-a-kind lawsuit for um, Louisiana and Arkansas to stop plantation prison labor because it's dangerous and um, it's beneath human decency. So that's what we're working on right now in the South. But we have these problems all over the country. Um, California has 70 factories. Um, People in Utah are answering the phone as telemarketers for um, Avis Rent-A-Car. We have so many different situations. And this is only the tip of the iceberg, but I'm proud to be amongst the partnership with Promise Suggested Initiative, um, Pipes for Life, um, PipesForChange.org, um, Vote, Voice of the Experience, the Abolish Slavery National Network, and we're going to get this work done whether they want it done or not. Indeed we are. Um Brother Yusuf, you had a few anniversaries that have come up and uh, dates of note uh, that we should recognize. Uh, and then after that, uh, let's go ahead and get into the story about the clip we got set up for him. <laughs> so then, I can't wait to get to that. <laughs> go ahead and tell us about these dates that have occurred, like yeah. the Fugitive Slave Law Man. anniversary and such. Right. So on September 18th, the U.S. Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, that's September 8, 1850, which required that people who had escaped from slavery be captured and returned. The Compromise of 1850 enacted the Draconian Fugitive Slave Act, which demanded that all American citizens, and that means all whites, act as slave patrollers. And this was explained by uh, Professor Manisha Sinha, who was a, a a guest on our program in the past, and this was in her Civil War Revisionism Still Shames America. On September 23, 1955, an all-white jury in Tallahatchie County, Mississippi, acquitted Roy Bryant and John Millam, the two white men who murdered Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black boy. Despite the fact that citizens comprised over 63% of Tallahatchie County's population. Not a single black person served on the jury. Why? Because under state law, only registered voters qualified as jurors, and not one black citizen in Tallahatchie County was able to register to vote at that time. We also want to send out a happy belated birthday to legendary author, revolutionary, and Black Panther Field Marshal George Jackson, who was born on September 23, 1941. When serving a prison sentence in 1966, 
he became involved in revolutionary politics. And I also want to note that he stole 70, allegedly stole $70 from a store, and they gave him a one-to-life sentence for mm-hmm. that. So he co-founded the prison organization known as the Black Gorilla Family. He increasingly spent more time in solitary confinement, studying political theory, and writing letters to friends and supporters. These letters were eventually turned into two best-selling books, Soledad Brother and Blood in My Eye. On August 21st, 1971, George Jackson was murdered by a prison guard from the tower. His murder was a catalyst to the Attica prison uprising. So these are some of the dates that we wanted to highlight. I mean, there's something going on every day in history. We could do an entire well, episode just on that. We actually have a calendar coming out for 2024 with these dates on them uh, from the Abolish Slavery National Network. And I have photos of our organization and members across the country and some of the amazing moments that we've experienced mm-hmm. along the way, as well as specific dates that are related to the abolitionist movement, both past and present. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. There's also a lawsuit coming out of Colorado, too, you Mm -hmm. know, um, where they were the first ones to remove this exception clause. So they're on the cusp of moving into the next stage, again, challenging the badges and incidents of slavery. And uh, they have been getting paid 13 cents an hour to perform labor in the Colorado prisons and they issued a lawsuit challenging that uh, because not only are they being paid 13 cents an hour, but if you refuse to do it, you're being punished. So you get solitary confinement, you lose probation chances, uh, sometimes there's brutality involved, and, and that's just mind-blowing because that's what we're trying to do is solve that problem. We, we don't want to stop labor in prisons. Right. We're not trying to do that. People want to be constructive, they want to earn money, they have family members that they have to support on the outside. We understand all of that. Mm -hmm. What we don't want is for people to be punished for refusing to work. If your mother dies and you say, I don't want to go to work today, my mother just died, you could get sent to the home for that. Or you could lose your chance at probation. If you just wake up with a migraine, like many of us have done, and say, I just can't do no work today, you could end up 30 days in the hole, 60 days in the hole, uh, fined for not performing these labors. And, and that is a crime against humanity. That, that's a problem that needs to be solved immediately. As a matter of fact, I want to quote uh, a Sister uh, Manisha Sin, who you mentioned earlier, in the article from BoltsMag.org. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, just to clarify things, had in the 1800s, Abe Lincoln said, everyone who was enslaved in the Confederate states shall now be given three cents a day. The abolitionists of the time would not have been satisfied, just like we wouldn't be satisfied right now, right? right? She said, there's a reason it's the Emancipation Proclamation and not the Compensation Proclamation. Mm. It's not a question about wages. The question is about freedom. That's right. It's about freedom. Um, as a matter of fact, that's one of the things we addressed while I was out. You and I were out here. We went to a uh, one of the talks mm-hmm. where uh, Sister Representative Gwen, Gwen Moore, Gwen Moore out, of yes, out of Wisconsin, Wisconsin being one of the states that are on uh, going for the ballot in 2000 and 
and she was talking about poverty and policing, right? And during most of her conversation, she kept emphasizing that the minimum wage in the United States is $2.13 an hour. And that's in the service industry. And that is unacceptable. And it traces back to slavery. Uh, when they would employ people who had been enslaved, they said, we're not going to pay you, but you can get tips. Mm-hmm. And that's how you make your money. So it's been $2.13 since, since like the 1970s. <laughs> you know, it hasn't went up. Uh, and at the end of it all, she asked if anybody had any comments or questions. So, of course, Max Potter's got questions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to give it all away. How about if we just play it yeah, and, and let people too. see what happened? I mean, this was worth the price of admission by itself. So let's go ahead and get into uh, Max's, Max Questions, Representative Gwen Moore of Wisconsin about slavery. You're listening to Abolition Today. AbolitionToday.org. We'll be right back after this. Max break, you get us kicked out. I got on good shoes back. Wow. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, first I want to say thank you for the good work that you're doing. Uh, my name is Max Parthas. I am uh, the campaign coordinator, national campaign coordinator for the Abolished Slavery National Network. We're the group that has officially abolished slavery in seven states since 2018 for the first time in U.S. history. We also have a joint resolution to amend the or to repeal and replace the 13th Amendment, which allows for legalized slavery and involuntary servitude, uh, which has been put forth by Senator Murphy out of Oregon and Representative Nikima Williams out of Georgia. Uh, when he was talking about the wages and the effects there's areas that you're not speaking about that we should speak about. The minimum wage in the United States is not $2.13, it's zero dollars and no cents. In seven states in the United States, prisoners are paid nothing, mm. like in Georgia and Texas. And they're doing jobs that are uh, providing services and industries on the open market, open international market. Even firefighters who are inmates now in California and Oregon are only making like a dollar a day uh, to do these services. So that is the lowest wages that is happening in America. And then this is forced labor because if they don't do the work, they're suffering penalties for that, including as much as 15 more years in prison because they don't get the opportunity to get parole. So, uh, yeah, I have a question. My, my question is, how do we deal with this where legalized slavery is happening every day under our noses and many of us aren't speaking about it at all? So how do we approach that? Thank you for your question. Well, um, you know, thank you for your work and, and, and of course our colleague Nikita Williams for raising this. And, and again, we're, these are the debates that we're having around our economy and, and our structural the way we structure it. You know, we say we're a capitalist uh, economy. You hear many of our colleagues complain uh, over and over that they don't want socialists uh, taking over because that's a trigger for a lot of people who have been oppressed under communist or socialist systems, uh, particularly in South America and other parts of the world. 
And so they are constantly comparing providing a social safety net and providing decent wages with communism and socialism. So we have to unpack that and tell people, look, the only, our democracy can only be preserved if we have, if we're going to have a capitalist society, it has got to be uh, a capitalist society that has regulations. You know, so that you can't poison the environment on the basis of profit. That you can't hire people for slave wages in order to profit. That you can't hurt the environment. That you can't, uh, that there are practices. We have got to convince people that uh, based on our experience, when we look at the times that we have had a depression or a recession, it has always been when that point in time when inequality was at its greatest. It is not good for capitalism, you know, for 1% of the people to have half the wealth. That is bad for our economy, that equity creates opportunities for everybody. And so it, it's an education process and getting people to, to realize that, you know, supporting rich people doesn't necessarily create a golden stoop. There's stuff for you. People tolerate inequality because they think that somehow that they, that they that they're going to climb. And we have not seen evidence that your class will will change uh, waiting on the trickle to trickle down. Thank you so much. We have three questions. Abolition. Abolition. So you just heard. Max telling Representative Gwen Moore, Wisconsin, the lowest minimum wage as zero dollars and no cents. Oh, and he questions Rep. Moore about slavery and the proposed abolition amendment to repeal and replace the 13th Amendment. But the thing that really got me was just how her answer was all over the place. Like she was grasping at straws for like certain little catchphrases to make it sound like she knew what she was talking about. But to me, you hit her with a left hook and she was seeing stars. And she sits on the most powerful committee in the United States government, the Ways and Means Committee. So, as I said, that was worth the price of admission. Just to get that in her head, Mm -hmm. as well as the people who were sitting there, that this is the truth, this is the case. You're overlooking these people who are by the millions out there mm-hmm. working for little to nothing. Uh, you, you know, it is sad that service workers are making 2013 cents an hour, but with tips, they go home with a relatively decent salary, especially, you know, in certain places and things like that. But these inmates don't have those options. And then she went into things like socialism and communism, mm-hmm. capitalism. And at one point, economics and- she, she referred to what we were talking about. You heard it. She said, uh, we're not supposed to hire people for slave wages. Well, I don't know what you're talking about hiring people right. because in this instance, the hiring process mm-hmm. is in the courts. Right. And the resume is on the plea bargain that That's they're right. forced to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not a hiring process per se. It's more of a kidnap a person and force them to work process. <laughs> you know? and, and what takes us even deeper, she's the representative for the 4th District. In That's Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Milwaukee yeah. Right. And we know the outrageous numbers they have in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, 
It's more than one in two young black men right. are expected to spend time in prison before they're 30 years old. More than one in two. Like, uh, what? <laughs> right. Right. Every two black men you see, one of them is going to go to jail. Right. Exactly. And they were talking about, you know, how in their communities, what they had done is they're giving women $1,000 a month, no questions asked. Right. Um, you know, in order to help compensate them for... To, be, to help them pay their bills mm-hmm. and have less worries and take care of kids. But, you know, it just leaves these men, these young men out there with nothing but prison. Right, <laughs> to know? be hunted down. To be hunted down. Because that's the other side of it, you know, that they're not allowed to live in the homes. Curtis, did you want to chime in on this? You may be muted, Curtis. Uh, we may have lost him. In case anybody wants to join this conversation... Uh, you can join us at 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. And remember to press the number one on your keypad so that you can, uh, it'll put you in queue so we know you have a question or a comment. Uh, Curtis is probably uh, distracted at the moment, so we'll, we'll let him be for the time being. But the, one of the things that bothered me, and, and this bothered me, and it's not the first time it happened, mm-hmm. is... I don't remember the name of the person who came to me. She was like, you know, I'm like Oprah. She was the, oh, yeah, the whole, the whole the, moderator. I don't, yeah, I don't, right. I don't recall She's a very either. important person in politics, uh, of course. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know her name. But she rushed me. She's like, is there a question? Do you have a question? I'm only like 30 seconds in. I, what I had to do was preface who I am what I represent, mm-hmm. and what we're doing here. It only took like 30, 40 seconds, and you're rushing me through it as if everybody knows what I'm talking about. Right. If everybody knows what I'm talking about, you wouldn't be talking in circles over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? You wouldn't be saying minimum wage is $2.13. So apparently everybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. So I felt like, you know, you should be just trying to get rid of me real quick. So, yeah, that bothered me. Of course. I think she saw the body language on Representative Moore. You know, they kind of know these types of things. Curry, you back with us? That ain't going back up. Oh, go ahead. Uh, you not All right. Uh, yeah, that that was a uh, that was pretty weird. Um, hey, what? Oh, let me see. Keep, let's keep them open as long as the sound is not um, too noisy. Curtis, are you there, bro? Yes, sir. I'm here. All right. any, any comments or questions on that clip that you heard? No, I heard. Um, you have it. You have it, Max. I, I don't even need to say anything. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Max doing what Definitely. Max does. Yep. <laughs> that's why yes, I said, sir. you know, when she walked over, and that's why I said Max is about to get, get it kicked out. You know, I'm thinking back to when we were at the PBS recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also thinking back to the night before when we're sitting there at the comedy club and each comedian is standing up talking about reparations and slavery. Oh, my like, God. And I'm seeing this look on your face. And if it wasn't for tribal, kind of like reaching over and kind of like tapping you on your arm to calm you down, you probably would have gone off that night. Yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to. I really did. Because... But it only made me realize how much work we got to do. Mm-hmm. Because here we are with all black comedians, like seven of them in a mm-hmm. row, and every one of them made it their business to either talk about slavery, 
or to talk about reparations. Right. None of them understood the circumstances or were aware of the exception clause of the 13th Amendment or even referenced the largest prison population that's ever existed in the known universe. Right. And it was frustrating. Like, you're misinforming people through your art because you don't know your damn self. Right. So I, I wanted to say something. But you, you're right. Travel kind of tapped me. I just leave them alone. They come in and let them do what they're going to do. You can't change the world right now. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it was frustrating to see that type of misinformation being passed out. And it's not just the comedians. It was happening at the uh, Congressional Black Caucus. Right. And, you know, they had these three top priorities that they were working on, and they were advertising. Uh, you know, one of them was defending our freedoms. Right. And I didn't see enough of that. I, I didn't see enough of that. Um, many of the, 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 I don't know what you call them, they were uh, panels? Or, yes, yeah, I call them panels. Yeah, many of the panels were about things that, I was like, well, why are we here again? Like, um, women in entertainment was mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, another one was about gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like environmental justice. And, yeah, all these things. I'm like, where's the criminal justice stuff? <laughs> you know, who's talking about it? Uh, there was one that we went to that was supposed to have Al Sharpton at it, but he mm-hmm. didn't show up. Uh, Don Lemon was there, and Representative, what's her name? Frederica Wilson. Frederica Wilson. Uh, with the 5,000 mm-hmm. uh, the students that she works with in uh, Florida, which is wonderful. And at one point, she was on the mic there, and this was a huge event, as a matter of fact. Right. And she said, you know, the uh, it costs more to incarcerate kids because they need milk. <laughs> like, yeah, she really said that. Yeah, she, she, said she, that. she said that that it costs more to incarcerate children because they need milk. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I just talked to Dennis Febo last week about how it cost six hundred and nearly twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars to incarcerate a single teenager. Right, six hundred and twenty thousand for milk. <laughs> That's a lot of milk. That's a lot of milk, man. An incentivization. Of incarceration. These are incentives to incarcerate people. They're not costs. This is how an entire industry is built around slavery and human trafficking. Right. When you start uh, creating economic development programs using the incarceration of human beings, including children, and it goes far beyond just the jails or the prisons it's also the detention centers the youth detention facilities Mm -hmm. you know these are all just big cash cows for for everybody that's involved and they throw these events for them you know because uh i'm thinking so as she's parading her her children from her program and sort of advertising that i'm thinking of all the ones who didn't make it into the program that are actually sitting in some juvenile facility right now, or eventually will end up in one, you know, and it's, it was no mention of them. And you could even hear, I recorded the entire panel. It was just, we're out in the road. We didn't have time to get it up. But all of these people that were up there talking with all these degrees and all of these things, none of them had a solution. And, you know, I'm posted up near the mic to open the mic and we could have, Giving them them a solution with two words, and that would have been end slavery. That's right. Just end slavery. And, of course, we'd have to explain what that means. But of all the wording that they talk, each person talk, 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 talk. You had nothing to say. Each person, bunch of hot air, 
when all we have to do is say end slavery. If you can remove that incentive to go after these kids, like you were just talking about, mm-hmm. there's a reason that they're doing this. It's not for the hell of it. You know, it's because even for that officer, the officer gets, you know, they have their marks that they have to make to earn extra time off, more vacation, maybe raises, all of these things. So there's an incentive for them as well to get all of them. And this is why they're thinking about when that person is running, trying to get away while they will shoot them in the back, because that's like an incentive that's getting away and they need to catch it. During that particular panel uh, discussion, there were two things that stood out for me. One, they brought in Don Lemon. <laughs> that was right. the first thing. Like, Don Lemon? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like many people, I've seen his career. I've watched him proclaim us as post-racial. Right. Uh, you know, racism is over. I've mm-hmm. seen him stand up on CNN with a big-ass sign that said nigger on it uh-huh. and, and, and try to incite some kind of anger out of us by holding the sign. <laughs> and I remember him giving us his two cents on national television about what's wrong with the black community, how we walk around with our pants sagging, mm-hmm. we have dreadlocks, uh, we smoke reefers, uh, and we make too many babies. These were the things that he was saying about us, right. Don Lemon. So Don Lemon, if he went down to the game store to buy it, he still wouldn't have a clue. He wouldn't have it. Like, he don't have a damn clue. As a matter of fact, he's the type of person who would stand against us on what we're trying to do. He's the person who you never heard any words about the the fight that we've been involved in for these many years. So that threw me for a loop right there. Um, And the other thing was Al Sharpton didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they went on and did the thing without Al Sharpton. And Al Sharpton's another person right. who knows no. all about this. I can't teach Al Sharpton nothing about this. He right. knows it yeah. all, but he don't mention none of it, ever. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even show up. And at the end, they had Hakeem Jeffries come on in a pre-recorded video thanking Al Sharpton for coming through and get, you know, right. entertaining and educating. It, it was just hilarious. <laughs> Uh, just looking at the listing of all the programs, and that was another problem. There's just too much going on at two time, and they they just spread everything out. Half of the things had nothing to do with the three. Uh, what do you call them? Sort of like the the three topics that this whole convention was supposed to be about. You know, when you said securing our freedom. Uh, what was the other one? Democracy. Yeah, uh, securing our democracy, protecting our freedoms, uplifting our culture. Right. You know, and I would say the vast majority of the seminars had nothing to do with either of those topics. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis, you want to chime in? Yes, sir. Um, with what we had with uh, Frederica is the normalcy of what we have in United States politics, right? So I wasn't, I mean, I was disappointed. I was proud to see the young men of the 5,000 that were there. But I know hundreds. (laughs) Yeah, 5,000. But we have hundreds of thousands of young black men that are falling between the cracks. And Mm -hmm. that's what 
uh, Senator Frederica needs to better understand. What about the ones that are falling between the cracks? What do we do about them, right? And that's exactly. the work of slavery, uh, slavery abolition. Um, it was definitely an interesting experience while we were here. Um, this is our last day early in the morning. Um, but I kind of took it out on a good note, too. Um, but I don't know if I want to just tell that story just yet <laughs> about how we uh, ended this trip that we have had here. How about if we just go into another uh, music break uh, with some information, and uh, we'll talk about that for a moment before I get into the final day and what happened. Uh, what we're going to play is a clip that uh, we played before. It's a Max Mix called Just Black. Um, and on it, you'll hear speakers, Vice President Harris, as well as uh, journalist Tom Hartman and uh, Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Uh, and I think it's self-explanatory. Uh, we're also going to play later on a little bit about Joe Biden. Between the vice president and the president, uh, they are not friends of us. Uh, they know all about what we're doing. We've been in contact with their offices. They're very familiar with it. Uh, and they've even went so far as to... Uh, make Juneteenth a holiday in order to counter our argument. Uh, remember in 20, yes, right. 20, uh, we were, 2021, was it 21? Yes. 2021, we are introducing the abolition amendment on Juneteenth uh, with Senator Merkley and Nakima Williams and a lot of fanfare. And then only days before that happened, they made Juneteenth a holiday to commemorate what? What, what was it? The end of slavery, slavery, right? And we're like, wait, what? Where did this come? You know, I used to, my family and I, Tribal can tell you about this, even the kids, we used to lead Juneteenth parades because we were the first rap family in the history of hip-hop music. You know, newspaper. Right. So we would lead these Juneteenth parades. We were all in on Juneteenth until we found out otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know? And they were trying to make it a national holiday then. Back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, so all of a sudden here we come, 2021, and poof, Boom. it's a holiday. <laughs> it's amazing. Two to three days ahead. Not a. Oh, I don't think that was a coinky dink. No I think way. that was a counter to the efforts that were rolling across the country and picking up huge steam. But you know, you only slowed us down and made yourself look stupid because we are coming back bigger, better, and six inches longer. You're listening to Abolition Today. AbolitionToday.org. We'll be right back after this clip. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. And concluded, uh, which was the general consensus at the time among a lot of white people in the South, this is again in the 1890s, that black people were genetically inferior. And in 1896, he published a book called Race, Tendencies, and Traits of the American Negro, in which he he lays out all the numbers. And then he concludes that if we simply avoided allowing black people to have any access to health care, that within two or three generations, the whole race would die out. And that would solve the race problem in America. Now, it sounds kind of crazy when I just lay it out like that right now. But this led to a whole bunch of things. And by the 1920s, it was, this was referred to as scientific racism. He was testifying about it before Congress. Uh, when Teddy Roosevelt, 1912, proposed a national health care system, 
you know, people said no because black people will get it. When Franklin Roosevelt proposed the national health care system, it was the same thing. We don't want black people to get it. When, when uh, Truman tried it in 47, same thing. Don't want black people to get it. Right up until 1965, Senator Stennis, you know, the, the Dixiecrats in the South, was quoting um, Hoffman, uh, who was like, you know, by then dead. But it's still very famous in this, in this field as saying this, you know, we have to figure out a way to keep black people from using Medicare. This is when they were passing Medicare. And the way that they came up with was to have a 20% hole, a gap in Medicare, so that you had to pay 20% of your doctor's bill and your hospital bill, and that would discourage poor black people from showing up at the hospitals. I mean, it, it's really, it was the most shocking thing I discovered, Jenk, when I was doing the research on this book, is that nearly 100% of the reason why the United States is the only country in the world that doesn't define health care as a right and doesn't have any, any sort of national health care system to speak of is because of racism. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. A Republican, actually a bunch of them, about 14 total, they hate black folks so much that they are willing to sponsor a bill that if a state, a county, or even a municipality, if they give a penny of money to black people in the guise or under the guise of reparations, it should eliminate all federal funding from ever coming to that entire state forever. I mean, that's some hate. According to Babin's bill, the U.S. government, including the Federal Reserve System and independent agencies, may not provide any loan, any grant, or other form of financial assistance to the government of any state or political subdivision thereof or any agency or instru instrumentality of such a state or political subdivision that enacts into law any program providing reparations on the basis of what? Slavery slavery, or race, or ethnicity, national origin, or historical practices related thereto. Related to what? Slavery. That's it. Just black people. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. Nixon administration yeah. official has admitted that the war on drugs is all about throwing black people in jail. He said, quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Abolition. You just heard the Max Mix, Just Black, featuring speakers Vice President Harris, journalist Tom Hartman, and Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. And where to start? Because, I mean, you're the one that really gets me, because we always hear Ehrlichman's statement about the anti-war demonstrators, and the blacks. So the war ended. And we're still black. And we're still black. <laughs> yep. yeah, that's the thing. It always gets me. So it's still happening to us. It's still happening, yeah. 
no more war protesters for that particular war. So mm-hmm. they're no longer subject to it, but we're still black and still subject to it. And and the thing, you know, personally, you know, before I have the job that I have now, I definitely avoided going getting medical treatment because of a copay. You know, because of just how much the copay was gonna be and I didn't have the finances for it. And I know that resonates with a lot of people and just hearing the history of it. He just ran it down. Yes. Both of the Roosevelt's, true men, you know, just just naming names. They each one saying, Yeah, nah. Not he was talking about an attempted genocide. Yes. Effectively saying, you know, if we don't give them health care, they're just going to die off. Mm-hmm. So let them die off. And that is the reason why the United States does not have universal health care, because it was used as a weapon of genocide against uh, people of the diaspora. Like, how crazy is that to even think about? And then the other one uh, where, you know, the vice president saying, Am I going to do something for black people, just black people? And hell to the no. Right. Hell to the no, no, no. Uh, but at the same time, your ops are doing things just for black people. So if you offer any kind of rep- reparations, you are no longer able to get federal funding for your state. Like right. that, that is like a sort of Damocles right over people's heads. Like, well, if we give these Negroes some money, right. <laughs> you know, cut off from we'll all cut off from funding. all federal funding. And, you know, I'm not advocating that we get any kind of reparations at this point. Um, I'm an advocate for ending slavery first. I think it's dangerous to accept any form of reparations while the crime that you are getting reparations for is still going on. I think that's very dangerous because if they don't end end slavery before you get reparations, mm-hmm. they damn sure ain't going to end it after you yeah. get reparations. As a matter of fact, they will increase it because there's no laws that prevents them from doubling or quadrupling the number of prisoners that they have through mass incarceration. There's no laws that prevent them from doing that. Right. So we can have 2.2 million today, get reparations tomorrow. And on the next day, have five million in people in prison. And like, what happened? Well, they, you know, these Negroes are crazy. We mm-hmm. gave them money. They went out drunk driving. They went out doing this. They're doing that. And we had to arrest them all. Right. right. <laughs> and by the way, bail is $99 million each now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's a dangerous situation. So those two things really stood out for me. This is why we don't have universal health care because of racism. Um, and also how they've threatened states that even so much as offer any kind of reparations, that they would lose their ability to receive federal funding. It's shameful. Um, Curtis, you want to t- chime in on this one, too? Of course. Um, when I think about the work that we do, and I'm glad that you said um, about our blackness, right? Because when we speak about our blackness, we're the only group in America that can talk about ourselves and be saying that that's reverse racism. So if somebody says anything negative about the Jewish population, then you're going to be um, rung over the coals, right? So if you say anything negative about any other group, um, uh, Lord forbid you, you make a LGBTQ community person feel uncomfortable, but black people have had such a unique um, 
history in the United States of America that we have to speak about the real um, issues that are affecting us disproportionately to everybody else. And that is a big deal. And it's dangerous to say that because you can't get the good jobs. People are going to try to ostracize you. But this issue of slavery is originally a black issue that has now turned into an issue that's affecting every race on the planet Earth, right? But because it was designed for black people, we still, as black people, have to say that this is primarily a black issue because of the disproportionality of effectiveness, uh, the sentencing, the people that are involved, the people that have been affected <clears throat> by the issue. So thank you, Max, for um, um, bringing to light what our vice president has said, um, bringing to light what all of our um, people are thinking on the inside, and somebody has to stand up for our people because it is what it is. Thanks. I know. Thank you, brother, for your continued fight. Um, if it was something that would only benefit Ukrainian people, they wouldn't have a problem saying it. If it's something that benefits only Asian people, right. the Asian hate bill, right? Uh-huh. Uh, they have no problem. But black people, nah. You you're gonna have to get on the on the water with your boat and the rising tide or the trickle down. Is right. that what she said? The she trickle down. Trickle we down. get the trickle down. Like you know, it's the money shot or something. We get uh-huh. the trickle down uh, over here. But just for us, no, that's not gonna happen. But you know, when it it does come out as rhetoric, is election time. Election time, they start promising they're going to do this, that, and three other things. Oh, we're going to legalize marijuana federally. Like, how many times you know heard that every election season? You know what I mean? We're going to do this for you. What did Kamala Harris tell us when she was running for office? $500 billion just for black people, black communities. We're going to build them back up because they've been destroyed by this system, and we're going to invest in black and blah, 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 blah. And then she gets over there a year later. Just for black people alone? Oh, hell no. I ain't doing that. <laughs> you know, how quick you turned around, man. Uh, remember, if you want to join the conversation, press the number one on your keypad or call in at 515-605-9814 to join the conversation with Curtis Davis, Max Parthas, and Yusuf Hassan here on Abolition Today. Uh, yeah, and, and the president ain't no better. The president ain't no better. I, I, you know, I got a clip from, from Joe Biden. Yes. Um, and it's his own words. This is how we like to do things. Mm-hmm. We're not going to tell you what we want you to hear in their own words. Joe Biden has never been a friend of black people in this country. Never. Uh, he has spent his entire career trying to find new ways to lock our asses up. Even as president in this, uh, uh, you know, run where he, he's actually won the office, he repeated the process of the 94 crime bill. Right. A whole new, brand new bill that did the same thing. We're going to give all this money to police and prisons. If you build more prisons, you get more police. We're going to give you all of this money uh, so that we can incentivize more incarceration. Like, it ain't changed. The smile in your face mm-hmm. and stabbing you in the back. Right. Uh, you know, and in his own words, we got a, a, another Max Mix. That I want to share with you since we're gonna we talked about the vice president, let's talk about the the president. Now, I hope, mind you, that they get on board. I really do, but I don't see it coming, especially not considering the history of both of them. So let's go ahead and get into the Joe Biden, this or that remix. 
You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan. We're joined by Curtis Davis. We're in Washington, D.C. at the 52nd Annual Convention of the Congressional Black Caucus. And we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Being a police officer is not an easy job by any means. It is certainly not an easy job under conditions of maximum stress. But it is very hard to look at the videos that we have been seeing from all across the country, and particularly this one video we're going to show you, which you may have seen, and not conclude that there is something deeply broken in the culture of policing in America. A Democratic president wants 100,000 cops. A Democratic president wants to build 125,000 new prison cells. We have predators on our streets. How can he really be a progressive and want to lock these people up? And I'd say lock the SOBs up. Increase the penalties. Increase them. I would put the son of a gun in jail. Put them to death. Now we can find some fringe folks, libertarians and left-wingers in my party who say, no, that's not what we should do. But politically, that consensus going to arrive. Biden crime bill. Biden crime bill. The Biden crime bill. The Biden crime bill. Hell, we've got crime bills coming out our ears. The president says he wants to wage a war on drugs. But if that's true, what we need is another D-Day, not another Vietnam. Almost the same thing that got passed, the Patriot Act, was introduced by me in 1994. Every major crime bill since 1976. Every minor crime bill. Has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden. I sat next to Strom Thurmond. No, 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 no. And became friends with Strom Thurmond. Together we passed the phone. So don't tell me you can't work with people and compromise. Woo! Where's all this from? The government can take everything you own. Everything from your car to your house, your bank account, they can take everything. You got a gun? You commit a felony? Ten years. We already have it. Five years. Minimum mandatory. Judge can't say, you know, you had it in your pocket, you never intended to use it, we're only going to give you one year. Judge has to say five years. A Democratic president wants 100,000 cops. A Democratic president wants to build a well, he wants to make it 10 or 20 or 60. I, we can work that out. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. They literally have not been socialized. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my son. So I don't want to ask, what made them do this? They must be taken off the street. They are in jail. Those people, those people. Away from my mother, those people, those people. your husband, our family. Those people, those people. A wag in the newspaper recently wrote, Biden has made it a death penalty offense for everything but jaywalk. Those people, those people. I'm going to make it for 46 crimes. Biden says make it for 51. We're going to get tough. 60 new death penalties, brand new. 60. There are 70 additional enhancements of penalties, i.e., you go to jail longer. When I wrote the original bill that started this whole process, the so-called Biden crime bill, I didn't call a liberal confab and write it. I didn't call these big society people and write it. I called the cops. A Democratic president wants 100,000 cops. A Democratic president. 
somehow the Republicans tried to make the crime bill tougher. I say, poppycock, they didn't make anything tougher. I wrote that bill. Those people. I started looking at it, found out. At this midnight basketball, and get them together a bunch of jive folks who are black, white, and Spanish. Those people. Those people. Living in their city to do, uh, you know, try to see if they can be Michael Jordan. Those people. Those people. When they found out, keeping schools open. Gangs come off streets instead of out raping my mother, marauding me, robbing the local store. They're in a gymnasium. My daughter will be safer. My wife will be safer. My mother will be safer. And I will be safer. Those people. Those people. And I will be happy. You ashamed of that, Bill? Not at all. Um, in fact, I drafted it. We had enormous success. I can't are things I would change, but by and large, what it really did, it restored American cities. America is under attack, literally, under attack by an enemy who is well-financed, well-supplied, and well-armed, and fully capable of declaring total war against the nation and its people. We have to hold every drug user accountable. We need more prisons, more jails, more courts, more prosecutors. Quite frankly... The president's plan's not tough enough, bold enough, or imaginative enough to meet the crisis at hand. We're going to have to worry about getting governors uh, to go out in the mountainsides with flamethrowers with you next to them, um, uh, dealing with it in their backyard. During the period of bloodshed and mayhem of which the president has spoken, we passed the law. Those people, those people. My part of those people. We said crack cocaine is such a bad deal. But if you find someone with this much of it, a quarter's worth, not in value, in size, five years in jail, five years, no probation, no parole, if you have this much, lock them up and put them in our prison. Those people, those people. Boot camps for youthful offenders. Under this bill, we can string up barbed wire. We can build wanted huts and we can put them in boot camps. We can do that. I've been fighting to get these club drugs changed in schedule for years. DEA was my opposition. That's the scum who should be put in jail. Those people, those people. Not just the guy selling the pills. Arrest the promoter. Those people. Find a rationale unrelated to drugs. You don't have to get them for drugs. Turn off the water. I put you in jail. I put you in jail. A Democratic president. I'm the guy who authored the crack house legislation. We can use the crack house legislation to tear down these buildings. You can literally bulldoze down their business. Great big bulldozers. Bulldoze it down. Literally. Not figurative. to those people. Those people. Holding our media accountable is um, something we all desire. But uh, there's a thing called the First Amendment, which is read in a way that I think is a little excessive. It was a big mistake that was made, but it's trapped an entire generation. Those people, those people. You can ask the Attorney General this, because I got a call when he introduced the Patriot Act. He said, Joe, I'm introducing the act basically as you wrote it in 1994. This bill met with an overwhelming, overwhelming agreement in Congress. I've learned one thing since I've decided to run for president, and I assume one thing. Everything about me, everything about me is going to come out in the public record. 
and I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. Dealing with um, who we're dealing with, 
whether they're Democrat or Republican, they have been destroying our um, opportunity at advancement in the United States of America. Thank you, Max Parthas, for actually um, giving, giving the receipts. I mean, this is his words. You see, that's right. It mm-hmm. And, and there's no way you can up. say this is out of context. That is him. Mm-hmm. And what he thinks and feels and always has thought and felt, uh, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not pointing at the Democrats and saying that they're a problem because Republicans is just as big a problem, if not worse. Uh, but this is the people who we are giving our votes to, the ones who have literally destroyed our communities and with no guilt at all. Mm-hmm. He was asked if he felt guilty about that. Bill Clinton had already apologized. Hillary Clinton had already apologized and said it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biden was like, nah, I'm proud of that bill. <laughs> I'm What disturbs me more is the fact that black people in power are lawyers, are provosts, are deans of HBCUs will blindly follow these people into the pit of hell for our people. And we cannot continue to allow this to happen. And I'm tired of it. And Louisiana is such, and I'm only going to speak for Louisiana right now. The rest of the states might be okay. But in Louisiana, we are living beneath the poverty rate. We have the highest level of um, um, illiteracy. We have the worst quality of life. We have the highest incarceration rate, but because they get these good jobs, these pastors, these politicians, these pimps and players, they continue to push our people towards um, party politics that don't benefit us. And so as long as Abolition Today keeps pushing this line, maybe some of our people will wake up to say, hey, we got to do what we need to do for the advancement of our, of our children, of our elders, our wives, our husbands. We need to do what we need to do. And I'm, I'm so proud of you, Max, bro. Thank you so very much because you portrayed the argument here in Louisiana because the Democratic Party is who actually stopped us from ending slavery in 2022. So going forward, I, I hold no more punches back. If they say what they say, we're going to put them on blast. They're going to be on social media. They're going to be on our website. They're going to be on a Max uh, Mix. Right. They're going to be on a Max Mix. If you are <laughs> against the progress um, of black people in the United States, we got to let people know who you are. Thanks, Max. Uh, just doing what I can do, brother. You know, that's that's all it is. Um uh, I had a conversation today with some people who were, you know, they, they were saying, thank you for your work and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't think I'm doing anything extraordinary. I think I'm the normal one. I think you're the normal one. I think Yusuf is the normal person. It's the people that won't do anything mm-hmm. or act like they have cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. or selective memory. Those are the ones who are abnormal. Those are the people who are extraordinary. Because they're going out of their way to either deny this issue, fight against it, or uh, just try to silence it altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether these were political, 
clout or expediency or whatever it may be, uh, they are the ones who are not normal. You know, it's like Chris Rock saying, uh, you know, stop talking about me paying, you know, taking care of my kids. I'm supposed to take care of my kids. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Don't praise me for something I'm supposed to do. And this is what we're supposed to do. If you're listening to this program, you know what we say? You may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. And once you know something, you become responsible for what you know. Now you get to make a decision. What do I do with the information that I have? And, you know, I had a wonderful conversation today with a 16-year-old girl and her mother who came to visit us here at the B&B. Uh, I'm not going to give out her full name at this point, but her name is uh, first name is Sarah. Sarah is brilliant. She's a high schooler. And she wants to lead the campaign in Washington, D.C. Yes, now, why does she need to lead a campaign in Washington, D.C.? Because 25 states inserted pro-slavery language into their state constitutions in order to exploit uh, prison labor through convict leasing and other means. But it wasn't limited to states. Mm -hmm. It also is in the Constitution of Puerto Rico, a territory, mm -hmm. and it's in the, it's the, it's in the charter of Washington, D.C., uh, assisted to put in there by Abraham Lincoln himself. Mm -hmm. So when people tell me uh, about the 13th Amendment and slavery, I often try to point out to them that Abe Lincoln always knew what he was doing with this. It was a great betrayal. Let me read to you what the charter of Washington, D.C. says. It's called, and from 1862, an act for the release of certain persons held to service or labor in the District of Columbia. Look at the word magic they're doing already. Certain persons right. <laughs> held to service or labor in the District of Columbia. Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that all persons held to service or labor within the District of Columbia by reason of African descent are hereby discharged and freed of and from all claim to such service or labor and from and after the passage of this act, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude mm -hmm. except for crime, whereof the party have been duly convicted shall hereafter exist in said district. That's Abe Lincoln's work right there. He knew what he was doing. And it's in the charter right here in Washington, D.C. And we have got a young lady who is going to be the face of the youth um, working to remove that from D.C.'s charter. So I'm looking forward uh, to you and the other groups, uh, the other organizations, the other leaders in this uh, movement, uh, speaking with her on our next state operations meeting. Yusuf? Looking forward to that. Definitely looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, we need we need this, the applaud sound effects on that one, man. We, we're talking about a 16-year-old girl. Right. Who's, you know, said, I want to represent my generation, too. I want. She asked us, I want to take this on. And I gave her the whole rundown, including the dangers that may exist, with her and her mother sitting right there. And they both said, we're down. We're, we're in, 10 toes down. We're going to do this. <laughs> so... 
that is going to be our Greta Thornburg coming out uh, very soon. That's right. You know, as you were speaking, I was checking other American territories. And so I just realized that American Samoa and Guam have exception clauses. <laughs> they do? Because they're subject to the U.S. jurisdiction. Oh, oh they're subject to the 13th Amendment. But America. it actually says it in here. Section 10 of the American Samoan Constitution, slavery prohibited. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in American Samoa. Wow. This is not a coincidence. It's impossible for this to be a coincidence. That all of these constitutions and charters wanted to allow for the use of prison labor um, under the guise of convict leasing and exploit this uh, free labor. Mm-hmm. And now it's grown. It's grown so big and so bad that free labor is really only a, maybe a third of the equation. Right. Uh, because the warehousing of bodies now is far more lucrative. Uh, you can work a man, right? But you're not going to get $620,000 worth of labor out of him in one year. No. But if you put him in a box... And collect an income from the taxpayer, you'll get $620,000 for throwing them in the box. So the warehousing of bodies is a relatively new phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh, of the 20th and 21st century that is grown uh, by leaps and bounds. It creates entire economies where, you know, Alabama, for instance, getting $2 billion to build new prisons, uh, you know, and, and it's not just some prefab that they're going to drop in there. This is a whole industry that's going to be created around building, maintaining, uh, keeping the prisons and the prisoners in them. And if they run low on inmates, guess what they're going to do? Create more criminals. That's it. That's it. Let's bring Tony Crane in since we see his hand up. All right. All right. What's happening, Tony Crane? Welcome back to Abolition Today. Peace, gentlemen. How's everything? Man, uh, this this episode is excellent, as always. I really, I really appreciate those sound bites of Joe Biden. Mm. Touchy (laughs) Joe. That, man, you know what? I was just, the funny thing is, is I was talking to my nephew and my son about Lincoln because they were over there laughing and playing Roblox. They mentioned Lincoln. I had to remind them that, you know, he didn't, he had no uh, intention on freeing slaves. You know, me and my dad went through all of that stuff. But, um, that, but that, you know, that, um, that, those sound bites were just perfect. I mean, I love, I really love hearing Biden his real side come out because he's mm-hmm. so he's so like when he's speaking he you can just hear how much he really feels you know what i mean how he really loves that he's the the main um author of black suffering him and his partner mm-hmm. like i said in my song the president's partner you know the authors of black suffering you know what i mean like people want to just glance over it like Come on, man, Joe Biden, you've been a straight um, jailer and a slaver at the end of the day for your entire life, brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, for real. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and 
like y'all said, man, black people got to stop just voting Democrat just because. You know what I mean? Because we got we got literally Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader in the office right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. <laughs> that's that's oh, what yeah. they look like to me. You know what I mean? So, like yeah, I said, I, I mean. always appreciate this. I always appreciate all of this information that you all give out, man. This is it's so necessary. And uh, it, uh, that that young woman, that young that young woman that that sixteen year old that you mentioned, yes. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I wish her and her mother all of the all of the best because that is that is amazing. I mean, really, it is really amazing. It is. Yep. Um, we we need the young people in on this, and the door is open for them. And she's walking through it uh, to represent her generation. And I am so proud of her uh, for willing to do this. And she's got what it takes to get it done here in D.C. Indeed. You know, I, I just I was on Instagram and I saw that Yo Yo was at the was talking about the Black Caucus. And, and you guys are there. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's great. It's great to know that you guys are there's always, one thing about always the, in the mix. Sorry, go ahead. There's one thing about the Joe Biden clip that I didn't mention, mm-hmm. uh, and that is while he was talking all of this, how bad this crack thing is and how just lock them all up, his son was a freaking crackhead. On, so man. it was applying yeah. to everybody but his family. And you that can't part. tell me you didn't know he was a crackhead because, you know, everybody's fighting now about the, the videos that are out with him and right. the crack and the, and, right. the, and, and the racism that he was expressing. So it was okay to destroy our community. It's okay to lock our children up. But when your kid is doing it, nothing ever happened. So he right. crack, he smoked crack, he was a crack addict for years, and nothing ever happened to him. Right. He wasn't scared for his mother and his sister and them then. Nothing. <laughs> about that. Right. And it's your own son. And you, you ain't scared about them. What he said about his mama would be yeah. safe and his son would be safe. Yeah, because he's the crackhead. <laughs> wow. Can't make this stuff. You can't make it up, man. You can't make it up. And, you know, what we witnessed here was, I think, the continuation of the talented tenth. Mm-hmm. ideology. Yes. You know, that uh, as long as we got 10% of our people here who are college educated and they're millionaires or working towards being millionaires, they're the leaders for the future. And the other nine out of 10 ain't worth nothing. Uh, you know, like we, our, our lives ain't worthwhile. But as long as we got one out of 10, that talented 10, uh, we can move the whole uh culture forward and uh, gain many grounds. So this was something that was championed by people like uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, uh, Morehouse was actually the first person to coin it, who was a white man. The University of Morehouse uh, College is named after. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Booker T. Washington was a fan of this talented 10th ideology. Uh, So, you know, that's what we saw there. We saw the whole bourgeoisie group uh, they're there to, to get rich. They're there to be independently wealthy and to leave the rest of our asses behind. Because if you're in prison, their ideology is you deserve it. You must have did something wrong. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in prison. Because when has police 
ever falsely incarcerated somebody? When have courts ever thrown people into prisons and jails for no reason or right. unjustly? Uh, it just right. don't happen. Uh-oh, my computer's running low. All right. Uh, let me pass it back to you. Um, if you have more to say there, uh, brother, and then we'll go back to Kurt. No, I just, I'm in complete agreement. We're just, um, we just make all of this stuff up for years. You know, it's just, we've been lying about not doing anything. If you got locked up, you have to be there for a reason. It's just not possible that cops lie. Right. They don't rob, they don't rob us. They don't rob us. They don't uh, make false reports. They don't sell drugs. They don't, they're not running whole drug rings. Come on. Right. Come on, we know what it is. Curtis, do you want to tune in? Definitely. The brother is definitely right. Um, I mean, the only time I've ever been bullied in my whole life was by police officers. And um, most of the time when I'm driving a car and a police officer gets behind me, I'm praying that it's a white officer. I'm like, please. Don't let this be a black officer, because the black officers, um, just like um, the slave catchers on the plantation, are the most brutal, evil of the officers, right? So I want everybody to understand that the work that we're doing is not a work that's designed around a race, period. Um, This is um, the work that's designed around making human decency for people that are considered property, not just people that are what alive. You should say end slavery. The work is around ending slavery. Right. right. And um, a lot, um, I know we know Willie Lynch, um, and we're about to introduce a reading section for um, abolishslavery.us. Um, so that people can better understand intellectually what's going on in America. Uh, I appreciate all of you brothers for being brave enough to come out and say what needs to be said. I love you guys, and I'll see you soon. The, um, the struggle continues. And uh, Zoritan, that's the guy on G.I. Joe, right? Yeah. Okay, I was trying to figure that out. I'm like, oh, he said Darth Vader and Zoritan. No, that's like, uh, from Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. No. yeah, Vader's from, that's Star Wars, definitely. Darth Vader, Star Wars. Who is Zoritan? <laughs> Who? The other brother he said, Zoritan. Oh, oh, no. oh that's, I, you said Zartan. I said Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, and Zartan. Okay. Yeah, Zartan. Nah, he's definitely from uh, GI Joe, though. Zartan. Okay, yeah. but these these are the Joe Bidens and Kamala Harris's of this world. So let's deal with it. Let's be strong, and you can't get out of life alive. Remember that. Whoever <laughs> listening to this, if you're gonna do this work, you're gonna die from something. <laughs> right. Yes, I'm y'all. Right, sure. you, brother. And if I can just say one last thing, I sure. I want to echo what that brother said, obviously, and um, just you know remind people that 
what we see and what we hear are so vital to this, you know, this fight. And that's why I do what I do with my music. You know, I'm so thankful for you and Yusuf, Max, because so much of what you do teaches me and enables me to then put that into my music so that it can reach other people, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, 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 feel, I feel good knowing that I can contribute in that way. You know, absolutely, and I'm pretty sure that your son is very proud of you. Uh, you could have went the other path, that wide path that's traveled by many, mm-hmm. and just tried to exploit whatever uh, they're exploiting in order to make a few dollars. But instead, you chose the narrow path, uh, which is travel by few, and uh, kept up with your own ethics and morals uh, in Instead of going along with poisoning your own community with the stuff that they have eaten them in their heads like this. You know, I don't like hating our hip hop too much, but there's some damn damning stuff out there like songs talking about the vagina is pink and the booty hole brown and all mm-hmm. that. And that's the best you got to offer our generation. That's the best you got to give right there. It's horrible. It's horrible. We went from having Run DMC on TV to having Ice Spice on TV with Ben Affleck. I just wow. saw that today yeah, with the crazy. coffee Dunkin' Donuts, right? Wow, yeah. I, 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 walked, I, almost, I walked out the room when I saw that, man. I couldn't even believe it. Hey, hey Tony, I'm going to put you on the spot, brother. We need some fresh music from you over here at Abolition Today, man. <laughs> so you can hit me Why up at uh, abolitiontoday.org, you know? Okay, okay. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you some off the new album, man. Really, All right? Yeah, sweet, absolutely. Um, appreciate that. And other artists out there, if you're listening uh, and you have this type of music that talks about these issues, uh, we will be willing to play it uh, as long as you know it's good stuff, quality stuff. So send it in to Yusuf at uh, uh, abolitiontoday.org um, in MP3 format. Uh, so that he can review it, and we'll go from there. We got one more hand up. We got time oh, for another call? Yeah, we got time for another call. Let's go ahead and bring in this 803. Uh, 6218, you are on Abolition today. If you hear my voice, then you're part of the revolution. Hey, what's going on, Max? <laughs> Is this Palmetto Star? How's everything? Peace, brother Palmetto yeah, Star. What's going on, Star? Peace Star goes back four seasons with us, right. all the way to day one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I'm I'm proud of the work that you're doing. I'm so glad that someone is doing it. Someone's being boots on the ground, showing them true abolitionist work, you know, and um, freeing these slaves or, you know, these enslaved people because prison is slavery. We got we have to come to terms with that, and we have to uh, support people that are doing the work, such as yourself, and that are boots on the ground out there. Are you, are you guys still in D.C.? Yes, we're uh, broadcasting from D.C. right now. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. I love the work that you're putting in. And I just wanted to um, call in, definitely um, salute that. And also I wanted to chime in a little bit. I know this may be completely off the topic, but this this mockery, of rap music, a mockery of hip hop that they're promoting as 
as rap or as mainstream music. It is completely garbage. It is completely, uh, you know, they're just they're just making music. It's very dangerous now. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I, I've seen it. Like being here in Atlanta, I've seen young girls that are influenced. They're like they really think they could only go out there and, and prostitute their bodies. Like they feel like that's a, that is the only thing they could do. You know, I'm talking mm-hmm. about smart, intelligent young women, you know, and that's, and, and this sort of music that they're pushing is, is definitely a, um, a part of that equation of why they feel like that. And it's, it is just leads, it leads to mental, Issues. What they're pushing right now is basically psychopathy, um, psychopath music, and promoting it like this is this is supposed to be, you know, what the norm of black people is. You know, and it's it's crazy. Well, you know, the old adage is you are what you eat, mm. uh, and and that doesn't mean just what you put in your mouth. It also means what you put in your head. And, you know, we are very careful. We don't feed our children arsenic. We don't feed our children bleach. We don't feed our children poisons. But we will allow them to have these poisons go into their minds. Uh, Right. Somehow or another, it's okay for your mind to get poisoned and not your body. Right, right. And I I would say arsenic may be a little less dangerous than uh, sexy red. And uh, Ice Spice and all that, I'm telling you, because it's like, like literally, I've seen people just like, they they don't understand what's going on. It's like, you know, they they really feel like this is a, a valid option of of just being this ultimate prostitute. Like it's 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 complete insanity. You know what I'm saying? It's and, not and just not, the girls. Pushing the female. What's that? It's not just the women. The men are doing uh, their parts, too. You know, like some of these old G's who putting out new albums still talking about gangster this, and they got guns, and they doing drugs, and my bitch right. that, my bitch Like, dude, you 60 years old married. What the hell is you talking about? You just spent 10 years on a goddamn police show, and now you're talking about how you're a gangster still? Yeah. Oh, you I know you're talking. You're talking about Ice-T. <laughs> one of them, that's one. It's not limited to them. It's a lot of them. <laughs> oh. I thought a freestyle he did. I was like, are you serious? Are you serious, I see? Like, he was on stage doing a freestyle. I mean, and, and the, you know, the rhythm, he was, like, spitting, like, you know, and he was doing his thing, but it was like, the content was like, come on now. You're, you're, you know you haven't lived like that in, in a long time. You know what I'm saying? For real, if ever. <laughs> you know? right. well, exactly, exactly. Listen, listen fam, exactly. we are uh, running close to our, our, our time. Uh, uh, we got still one more segment we got to do, and we got to thank our sponsors. All right. uh, so we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, I want to say thank you, Tony. Thank you, Curtis. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Paul Metal Star, uh, for supporting and being here and helping to share this information and getting it out. And being a warrior yourselves out there on the front line, making a difference in your communities, in your states, in your nation. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Max. Keep on continuing to do the good work. Amen, hey, brother. Thanks, Max. Love you, bro. Peace. Keep it, I'm going to keep rocking until I drop it. <laughs> Y'all do your thing. Peace.
<laughs> Peace. All right, we're going to get into uh, our final comments and thanking our sponsors here. As I said, I appreciate every, all of our callers and listeners. I'm glad we were able to share all of this information and news in a way that sticks, you know what I mean? Um, and exposing the things that need to be exposed. Uh, everybody out there that's listening to the sound of our voices, keep on doing the good work. We need your help. Visit us at abolishslavery.us. Uh, become a member of the ASNN. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Brother Yusuf uh, for our sponsors, and then we'll get into our final segment, which is our Bridging the Gap. And one of your favorite Bridging the Gap. That's gaps. right. So we definitely want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our Facebook pages. So YouTube is going to be youtube.com slash abolition today. Facebook is going to be abolition today. And our Twitter page is abolition today, the number one. So you definitely want to check all of those out. Hit up the archives. If you're new to the program, we've been doing this since March 15, 2020. So make sure you go back into abolitiontoday.org. Go all the way back to episode one. If you prefer to stream it on any of the major streaming platforms, we're there as well. Also follow the ASNN, that's the Abolish Slavery National Network, and Abolition Nation on all uh, platforms, and also AbolishSlavery.us. Uh, it's been great being here in D.C. with you, Max, and Tribal, and Curtis, and Jamelia. Uh, off to the next one, right? Off to the next one. <laughs> you yeah. know, so... Yeah, we're going to get into the Bridging the Gap, and this is, it's, it's two of my favorites. This one is, I'd say, my favorite, favorite one, and it's Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass's The Three Boxes for Freedom, and that's going to be followed by Lauren Hill, Black Rage. We'll be back live next Sunday, inshallah, God willing, with another masterclass on slavery abolition. So until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. It was my good fortune to be present at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration in March 1865 after his re-election as president and to hear on that occasion his remarkable inaugural address. A series of important events followed soon after the second inauguration of Mr. Lincoln, conspicuous amongst which was the fall of Richmond. The collapse of the rebellion was now not long delayed though it did not perish without adding to its long list of atrocities, one which sent a thrill of horror throughout the civilized world in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, a man so amiable, so kind, so humane and honest that one is at a loss to know how he could have had an enemy on earth. I was in Rochester when the news of Mr. Lincoln's death was received. Our citizens not knowing what else to do in the agony of the hour, betook themselves to City Hall. Though all hearts ached for utterance, few felt like speaking. But I was called upon and spoke out of the fullness of my heart. And happily, I gave expression to so much of the soul of the people present that my voice was several times utterly silenced by the sympathetic tumult of the great audience. I have resided long in Rochester and made many speeches there which more or less
touched the hearts of my hearers. But never till this day was I brought into such close accord with them. When the war for the Union was substantially ended and peace dawned upon the land, when the gigantic system of American slavery was finally abolished and forever prohibited by the organic law of the land, a strange feeling came over me. My great and exceeding joy over these stupendous achievements, especially over the abolition of slavery, which had been the deepest desire and the great labor of my life, was slightly tinged with a feeling of sadness. The anti-slavery platform had performed its work, and my voice was no longer needed. What should I do? The answer was not long in coming. Though slavery was abolished, the wrongs of my people were not ended. Though they were not slaves, they were not yet quite free. No man can be truly free whose liberty is dependent upon the thought, feeling, and action of others, and who has himself no means in his own hands for guarding, protecting, defending, and maintaining that liberty. Yet the Negro, after his emancipation, was precisely in this state of destitution. The law on the side of freedom is of great advantage only where there is power to make that law respected. The government felt that it had done enough for the former slaves. It had made them free, and henceforth they must make their own way in the world. Yet they had none of the conditions for self-preservation or self-protection. They were free from the individual masters, but the slaves of society. The old master class simply drove them off the plantation and told them they were no longer wanted there. I therefore soon found that the Negro still had a cause and that he needed my voice and pen with others to plead for it. I called upon the government to assist the landless Negroes of the South by colonizing them on lands abandoned by the slaveholders as they had retreated before the advancing Union Army. I urged further that these former slaves be equipped with implements to till the soil and arms to defend themselves. From the first, I saw no chance of bettering the condition of the freedman until he should cease to be merely a freedman and should become a citizen. I insisted that there was no safety for him, nor for anybody else in America outside the American government, that to guard, protect, and maintain his liberty, the freedman should have the ballot that the liberties of the American people were dependent upon the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box, that without these, no class of people could live and flourish in this country. And this was now the word for the hour with me, and the word to which the people of the North willingly listened when I spoke. However, regarding as I did, the elective franchise is one of the great powers by which all civil rights are obtained, enjoyed, and maintained under our form of government, and the one without which freedom to any class is delusive if not impossible. I set myself to work with whatever force and energy I possessed to secure this power for the recently emancipated millions. Great things and beatings. 
suffering and worsen Like human packages tied up in strings Like rage can come from all these kinds of things Like rage founded on blatant denial Free economic subsistence survival Deafening silence and social control just found in all wounds in the soul. When the dogs bite, when the bees sing, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember all these kinds of things, and then I'll fear so Black race founded, fed us self-hatred, lies and abuse, while we waited and waited, spiritual treason, this grid and its cages, black rage is founded on these kinds of My name is Jeanette Smith. I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money. 
so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Abolition. Abolition.